Welcome everyone to part two of my conversation with Utley Halderson and Julie Summers. In this episode, we get right back into discussing Icelandic language and then talking about genealogy and the potentials for the future of genealogy, thinking about the future historians and family genealogists. We also talk about the Snorri program and the future connections between the Snorri program and Icelandic roots. We delve a little bit back into the Icelandic roots database, and then we end this conversation with some fantastic Icelandic. I shouldn't say we, more like Julie and Utley. Nonetheless, I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you haven't yet listened to part one, go ahead and do so. Find that in our previous podcast episodes. Tak fere for listening. Hope you all enjoy. Compared to when I did the story program even 11 years mm -hmm. ago, um, there are you talked about, you know, in the future, there being kind of an explosion of language. There yeah. has been an explosion of language learning resources when it comes to Icelandic. Uh -huh. um, when, when I participated, it was basically Icelandic online, which was my, my main source before the trip. And also to some extent after the trip, there were, you know, of course, a handful of books, but they were very hard to get unless you were in Iceland or presumably Winnipeg or something. Right. Um, but now, I mean, it's just one thing after the other. There's more apps, more books, more websites, more everything, um, more even like video material and, and ways to expose yourself to, you know, to athletic television and, and things like that. So it's like, it's still compared to huge world languages like French or Spanish or German. There's of course, way, way less, but there's more than ever before. And so for people who are motivated and are not able to be in Iceland, you know, all the time, there are more and more resources all the time that they can use from wherever you are in the world to, to start learning more. Uh, Guthni was telling us last year, this is just a one year difference that time can make. Mm -hmm. He was telling us that they were trying to advocate for Siri like so the apple uh voice to understand Icelandic. yeah to understand and to be able to like i can ask siri hey siri can you translate or what is this word in french and she'll tell me right there but she wasn't able to do that with icelandic yeah she's in the background she heard me um, <laughs> uh, siri you're not invited to the podcast in just one year's time coming back to iceland this past summer that didn't change. Siri still doesn't know Icelandic, but this other technology came around uh, that called ChatGPT, which maybe you guys are familiar, but for our audience, it's this sort of artificial intelligent chatbot. So similar technology to Siri, but just a different company. And they were able to train that in Icelandic. And what's so interesting about these technologies is they can like train themselves. And so you think about how quickly that can become advanced. So I think Siri is fully capable of learning it. It's just different company dynamics. Uh, but within one year, I was at least able to see these AI systems not having a command of Icelandic to within one year, they're able to now like translate and you can learn and speak and kind of go back and forth in Icelandic with this 
uh, ChatGPT chatbot at least. So these technologies move very fast, but let's avoid making this a futurism podcast <laughs> and maybe get back to the here and now. Do you want to? Um, but also continue to think about the future. I thought about this a lot in Hopsos, the future of genealogy and uh, this sort of thing. Of course, when you're in a museum such as the Emigration Center, you're just surrounded by history, whether it's the letters, reading people sending back to their family members, or the photographs, right? The photography exhibit at the Emigration Center, which is showing like these families that maybe got one photograph their entire life. And that's that one picture that they could send back to their family. And the way that family histories have been saved from the past. Then I'm thinking about the future, right? And it's like, when we're in that age, our 80s to hopefully into our hundreds even, what is what are those memories we're going to leave to our descendants in the future? They're not going to be having to thumb through these old photographs and old letters. They're going to have access to like what we're doing right now in this podcast, as long as you know technology maintains itself and we don't somehow lose all of our stored videos and pictures and everything, it'll be just so much for the future genealogists and historians to go through and to look through for their own family. I, I don't know. That's maybe just a statement <laughs> for, for us to think through. Well, about this point, I'm too caught up in the present to, um, to think, think about, about the future yeah, or the past or anything but the present. <laughs> no um it's um i think it would be fantastic for our um for our descendants to mm. be able to see oh look there's atlib when he was 24 you can hear him <laughs> talking what that's crazy right um yeah i guess um like we have this, I guess some people, it's not as um, accessible. It wasn't as accessible as it is today. But like if, uh, let's say my grandfather was on a documentary or a um, or a radio interview or whatever, these things, there, there's a record of it and it's um, kept by the, um, at least in Iceland, by the Icelandic Broadcasting Agency. Um, all of this is documented. Well, I guess in a broader perspective, it seems that humanity really put a big focus on storing images and documents. And we've had, yeah, these just this, I guess, semi-recent breakthrough of um, of hardware storage and digital storage. Yeah, being able to take as many photos exactly. and videos as we want. I think the problem of future historians and family, you know, histories will be that there will be an overabundance of stuff. There will be too much to go through, too many pictures, too many photos, too many videos. For me, I, I don't know, I guess I'm old fashioned in the sense that, you know, I still, I still like having like a physical connection mm. to my family and my past and everything, yeah. you know, quilts that my mom made. And, mm. um, we have like an old, um, 
uh, what is it like a hymnal or a psalm book or something in Icelandic that mm. must have belonged to to her father, grandfather, things like that, you know, that I can hold. But um, but of course, I I appreciate the the um, additional capability that technology gives us in terms of being able to preserve and not only preserve, but then spread, you know, um, disperse things that are maybe physically stored in one location. But I'm thinking, for instance, like timarit.is, this website that has newspaper archives. Um, and there's also biker.is, um, which has like certain entire books that have been scanned. Um, and in one of the things that I've done as an Icelandic Roots volunteer is um, is translate some obituaries and other newspaper articles and texts for members and other people. Um, and those have largely been, you know, discovered by either the person themselves or a, a genealogist on the team um, in some kind of publication that's available on like Timbrite.is. And so, you know, I, I like that fusion of technology and these, you know, these old um, physical documents that then can be stored safely. And then, I mean, and of course, this, you know, this is not, this has been around, this sort of technology has been around for a long time. It's just on a, on a larger scale now, I guess, and more widely available. But um, yeah, I think that's pretty amazing that, you know, I, I found um, after I started really learning Icelandic, I found an Icelandic language obituary for my, I guess it was my great grandfather, my mom's grandfather. And I translated it to the best of my ability at the time. And I read it aloud to her and I, you know, she had no idea it existed because it was in Icelandic and she didn't grow up learning Icelandic. And I, I remember sitting at the kitchen table, reading aloud my translation of this obituary that she didn't know existed about a great grandfather that I never knew. He was gone long before I was born, but she had memories of him. And I just looked over and she had like a tear running down her face. And so, you know, I like, I think it's so cool when, when the technology and the physically um, preserved documents kind of merge together like that in order to, again, create that human connection that can't be replicated any other way. Yeah, I, I do think that's important and something important to keep in mind. That's sort of a really science fiction future where everything is digital and there's no physical in-person connections. Seems like it's too far out, but uh, you never know what's on the horizon in terms of technology. Now, I maybe want to direct us all to uh, Julie's cat who has entered the video frame. No, just joking. But also, hello. <laughs> Kisa. 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 Floki? Floki. And who was Floki? Who was Floki? Well, he was a kitten rescued from a place called Gundenhausen in Germany three years ago. No. Do you mean the... Uh, oh, the, I always forget. The Ratna Floki. The historical character. Yeah, exactly. Side note, Ratna Floki was, a, I believe, Norwegian explorer... And he came to Iceland uh, sometime before the year 1000, mm -hmm. after the year 800. And what did he do? He had two ravens, hence Hrapna, right. Floki. And he, um, he knew of this island called Iceland. 
and he sent his um his little ravens out to try to find land and the first one went off and um kind of returned with no news and then he a little later closer to where the island was supposed to be he sent the other raven out and that raven either uh didn't come back or came back and then the crew knew that they were getting close to land because of either the how long it took the bird to fly there and back again and then uh at some point uh Rapnafloki could see land and that um, I think it's a it's a super old name, but it's very uncommon nowadays, isn't it? I don't know that I've ever except for cats. Yeah, I, I actually know two people with dogs named Floki too, so it seems to be <laughs> more of a pet name these days. I don't know. That's also an interesting bit how languages can change. I don't know if you know over time. It's funny how a name that was common for humans then becomes only mm-hmm. common for pets. It's uh, that's another fascinating aspect of languages know, is names. I know. I think at least three Flokis. Really, first human. first name Floki. Yes. Okay, interesting. I don't think I've ever met a single one, but you obviously know more Icelanders than I do. I guess. <laughs> anyway, sorry, my cat is. Uh, well, you know how cats are; they don't like closed doors. So I knew at some point he would get annoying, and I'd have to open the door. But. Cats are a very Icelandic topic, actually. So, Yeah, I often reflect on the cats in Reykjavik mainly, but also I experience this in Akureyri too. They're just the street cats are so friendly and always uh, out and about. Um, yes, I would actually like to talk about Icelandic roots, the database, and uh, this is something that I don't think I've covered too much in the podcast, just really how, and this is something that also over time, I have really learned the benefits and the importance of it. When I first went to Iceland, the first Snorri program trip, we had access to Icelandic roots, of course, and it was quite cool to see how all of us within our program group were related to each other. So that was first and foremost, it showed right off the bat that all of us who were on Snorri together were all technically literal cousins of mm-hmm. each other. So in some weird way, this was kind of like a family reunion sort of grouping kind of thing. So that was very cool. And then of course, like knowing how we can figure out our relations to other people in Iceland or other people of Icelandic descent through the database. But uh, it wasn't until being in Iceland this past summer with Suna and actually being on the Icelandic Roots tour that I really was showed how you should just meet people in Iceland and just search up your relationship right off the bat. Doing that is like the ultimate sort of networking, socializing um, thing to do when you're meeting people there. And I really did just realize how profound of a connection that is. And you can kind of overthink these things and seem... Like it's a little, uh, you know, trivial. I forget, right? We just looked up you and uh, both of your connections. And I guess if I go into the database here now too, it says that me and Utley have 14 common ancestors, which I think is quite interesting. I don't often find that many common ancestors with people. We are still only seventh 
or eighth cousins, depending on the ancestor. But still, I mean, I'm scrolling through. This is a lot of tracing back connections that me and Utley have. Now, oh, got to log in again. You, uh, me and Julie. We have seven common ancestors I'm looking to. But it's pretty far back, like eight eight generations or something. Eight, yeah, nine. so, but still being able to see those, like whether or not your eighth cousin twice removed or ninth cousins, it's still like, oh, we're actually cousins. And uh, I think this is just such a powerful, powerful tool that I'm still only figuring out the benefits of it. I would like to hear from both of you guys going forward with the work that you're going to continue doing with the Snorri program. And next year, literally being the managers for next year's group, and you're going to be initiating, so to speak, uh, this next year's Snorri program group and showing them the benefits and I guess the, the, I don't know, interesting dynamics of being able to see your relations to these people in a new country if you're going over there as a North American. So what do you guys think about all of that? Uh, yeah, I think we're really excited to continue our partnership with Icelandic Roots, which we actually had a meeting with Sunna just the other day so that she and Atli could get to know each other a little bit. She and I have known each other for over 10 years now, but she and Atli um, have not had a chance to meet in person yet. So we had a, a meeting the other day and just, um, yeah, kind of talked about, you know, what the relationship between Icelandic Roots and Snorri has looked like up until now and what our vision for the future of that relationship is. Um, when I did the program myself in 2012, there weren't, um, Icelandic Roots didn't exist yet until I believe mm, the next year. Um, uh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so there certainly were no scholarships available yet. That began in 2015, I believe. Um, and so, I mean, being then on the board and having seen uh, group after group come and see how much Icelandic Roots has has helped financially, and then in you know now in the last several years providing um, access to the database for several months for all the participants, and that's also for the older participants, the Story Plus group too. Um, that is something that we definitely want to continue, and you know we we obviously will continue with that and encouraging them then to um, to make as much use of it during during that kind of free trial period as they can. Um, hopefully, then many of them will become members after that point and continue exploring it and contributing to it as well. Because that's one of the that's one of the great things about Icelandic Roots, of course, is that you can then also help it grow, help it become better and, and more complete by, by adding to it. Um, so we're definitely looking forward to continued partnership with Icelandic Roots and exploring maybe some, you know, opportunities for expanding that relationship even. Um, I think it's really been exciting to see you and some of your 2022 Snorri um, brothers and sisters um, becoming so deeply involved at Icelandic Roots. Um, that obviously is something that, you know, it's super exciting when Icelandic Roots is making such a great investment in um, financially supporting participants and the program um, to then see so many people giving back in, in such a great way and create creative ways and um, 
yeah, producing really interesting content. That's really exciting. Mm. So we're obviously mm. hoping to see more of that in the future mm. too. Yeah, I think it's just a really great opportunity. For me, it's all of this sort of stuff really actually just feels selfish. You know, I know that it's <laughs> contributing overall to the larger community, but for me, it's also just exploring my interests. But then having these different platforms from these different communities to connect with and to share my interests as well, it's just really, really powerful. How is your perspective, Utley, it must be interesting because you being someone who is Icelandic, you just get Islanding a book and you have your own way to figure out your relation to everyone that you meet in Iceland. But then if you're coming to North America and spending time maybe in Manitoba or North Dakota, for you to then figure out your relations to people like myself or Julie of Icelandic descent, you can't do that unless you have Icelandic roots to figure out the genealogy beyond just Iceland. So it must be rather interesting for you. Yeah, it is. I have, um, I just um, a few days ago bought access to the database. Okay. And um, since then, I have just looked into uh, all the different options and I guess um, like smaller databases within the main database and haven't really uh, set aside the time to do any like training, I guess, or uh, receiving instructions. But um, certainly one of the limitations of uh, Eastland Inca book, which is... Um, which is provided to me by the government and funded by uh, tax money. Uh, the limitations is that I can only see my ancestors. I, I can only see my direct ancestors and I can trace together me and other people. I cannot trace together you two on Eastland in Kabul. You can but find me. I have a Kenny Tala because I lived in Iceland, so I'm in there. Um, oh. Right. What I mean is, um, you I can't can see all the details. Yeah. No. Oh, you. Yeah, the two of us. You mean then me and Jack? Yeah, the two yeah of you. exactly. Yeah. 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 So yeah. that's the limitation of Island Tinkabog, and um, I don't really know why it is limited to that, and I don't have a good guess. Um, <laughs> But um, yeah, there, uh, Icelandic Roots certainly is a huge database, and they are, uh, well, they are the Snorri Foundation's, I believe, second largest single monetary support. There, uh, we have it as a special item on our shared to-do list to nurture <laughs> the connection and cooperation with Icelandic Roots. Yeah. I think we would also, you know, um, like to, I don't know exactly what this would look like if, since our work is primarily focused on the North American side of things, of course, but definitely also making um, Icelanders a bit more aware of, it, of Icelandic roots existence and differences between Icelandic roots and Icelandic folk, because um, as Atli was just saying, even Icelanders can get something from Icelandic roots that they can't get from Icelandic folk. And so I think um, just spreading general awareness more of, of what it is and how powerful it is, how powerful a tool it can be. Yeah, and it could something. work 
in reverse. If you're someone from Iceland visiting North America, this can be your in, your gateway to saying, hey, guys, I'm related to you and and forging that connection. So I think it is just very powerful and important. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's lots of these offshoot ideas to think about for the future of all of these sorts of things. So I hope that this conversation has been interesting for both of you as my conversational partners, but everybody listening to this episode here as well. And as we start to wrap up, if you guys, either of you would like to share anything more, um, any requests that you would have from our audience or any uh, further resources or different ideas for all of us to pursue, you guys can uh, share any closing thoughts here now. Well, what we... Um... We did talk about um, 25 year anniversary of the Snorri programs, which is 2024. Mm -hmm. So that year is coming up, and we would, um, mm. so far, we would love to um, have some celebration or something to mark the 25 year anniversary, but. Um, we haven't yet talked to this with the board, so mm -hmm. we have we we don't have anything special to share right now. Okay. No, no specific news, but maybe also just a um, kind of put out a um, mm -hmm. an invitation to people, um, alumni in particular. Um, the Snorri Alumni Association is essentially made, if you've participated in any of our programs, so Snorri, Snorri Plus, or Snorri West, um, you are automatically part of the Snorri Alumni Association. And in previous years, it has been much more active with, um, you know, social media presence and actual in-person events in certain places um, uh, at, you know, the Icelandic festivals in North America and and even meetups in Iceland sometimes for people who live there. Um, we were, I was one of several people in 2019 working very actively to kind of resuscitate it. It had been kind of inactive for a while. Um, and that was going quite well until, as we know, 2020 happened. Um, which kind of thwarted all of those plans. And so we're kind of at a point now where um, now, especially as I'm coming in as co-project manager, I would really like to work on getting that um, up and active again. And I'm hoping that some of the people from our last two fantastic groups, 2022 and 2023, will be interested in stepping up and helping us to revive that. Um, so I, if any of those people happen to be listening, feel free to uh, contact us if you are interested in learning more. I'm also planning to be sending out some information about that um, soon too, to try to you know identify some people who'd be willing to kind of take that and run with it and and help us with that because i think that that will be really integral to getting some of the 25 year celebrations planned and um and happening um i mean i guess the only, the other thing in closing of course is just that people should be aware that we are um taking applications now for next year's programs already so um, the applications are just online at snorri.is, both for Snorri and Snorri Plus. Um, 
And yeah, I hope that people who've already done one of the programs will, of course, spread the word to people in their lives who are eligible. Um, and uh, yeah, if you haven't done the program and you uh, fit the bill for one of them, then definitely apply, send in an application. It doesn't cost you anything and uh, it might just lead to a summer that'll change your life. So snorri.is for information. You can always email info at snorri.is for um, uh, questions, more information. And of course, we are on both Facebook and Instagram. So that's my pitch at the end. Um, the things that come to mind right now. Athli, anything else there? There's, uh, on top of that, there's a lot of plotting and planning that um, Julie and I unfortunately can't mm share anything about because it hasn't really been confirmed but in general uh i guess the phrase or motto that has been thrown around a lot in our email threads is that the future is bright and we just look forward to expanding and building upon the um the good work of our predecessors yes exactly well would not be possible without all the people who have who put a lot of blood sweat and tears into and countless countless hours both the paid staff volunteers host families i mean the number of people who've been involved in making the programs what they are today is just you could never you could never write a complete list and so we're grateful to each and every one of those people and yeah, I think after 25 years, we're celebrating the last 25 years and we are acknowledging that, that things are a bit different now than they were when the program started. You know, the, the tourism situation in Iceland is different. The world is different. Prices are different. But um, so there are some certain challenges that we have to face and, and overcome in moving forward. But I think it's also really exciting to imagine what the next five, ten 25 years of the program might look like yes certainly uh, the future is bright and strong is the bond thank you both for agreeing to do the podcast here with me and as we round this up i would request both of you to give us a little bit of a outgoing dialogue in icelandic giving our audience a little taste of some icelandic so utley take it away and julie join in to whatever capabilities you have Kærir hlustendur, takk fyrir að hlusta á Icelandic Roots podcastið með mér, Atla, Jack og Julie. Uh, Meinar þú ekki, að... ekki hlaðvarpið? Jú, ég meina hlaðvarpið, algjörlega. <laughs> Við hlökkum til að sjá ykkur í næsta þætti, gerist áskrifundur af Icelandic Roots og komist að því hvernig þínir vinir eru skildir hvorum öðrum. Já, sömuleiðis. Takk fyrir okkur. <laughs> Takk fyrir okkur. Og gleðileg jól. <laughs> well, thank you all for listening to the podcast. That was a fun way to end it with a little bit of Icelandic language. Now, Icelandic Roots, as well as the Snorri programs, have been longtime supporters of Icelandic language learning as we discussed over these last two podcast episodes. So if you are interested in learning Icelandic or interested in Icelandic history 
Or, of course, if you are of Icelandic descent and living abroad outside of Iceland, Icelandic Roots is the best resource for discovering your ancestry, but also for discovering Icelandic history and for learning more about how to go about learning Icelandic. So, uh, I encourage all of you to check out the Icelandic Roots website to learn more and be sure to listen to our other podcast episodes. Thank you and Sjálmst. <laughs>